we're in the second chapter now of 1 Thessalonians. So remember, in the first part of the letter, chapters 1 to 3, Paul is looking back first at the conversion of the Thessalonians in chapter 1, how the gospel came to them in the power of the Spirit, and how they were wondrously converted. And then in chapters 2 and 3, still looking back, he's doing something that we may feel guilty about doing as Christians. He's defending himself. He's defending himself. Now, there are times when we need to defend ourselves as believers. Now, Jesus said, if a person hits us on one cheek, we're to turn the other cheek. And when it comes to personal insults, that's got to be the case. But sometimes, whether it's as a parent or in the working environment, or if you've got a position in the church, as Paul had here, it's vital that you defend yourself, not in order uh, to uh, up your ego, but in order that the ministry here, uh, or your work, or your position as a parent uh, is not undermined. And Paul, in chapter 2, is defending his conduct, his character as a minister of the gospel, because a number of people were converted from the Jewish synagogue, and the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, were out to get Paul. They were going to shoot the messenger because they didn't like the message. And so they were doing a smear campaign to blacken Paul's character. And so, quite rightly then, for the sake of the Savior, for the sake of the believers in Thessalonica, who were being swayed by some of these rumors, he spends a whole chapter defending himself. Now, I would rather not deal with this second chapter, but God has led us to go through on Thessalonians, so we've got to do it. And you may think, what relevance is it to us as normal Christians to look at the work of a pastor? Well, it's good for you as a congregation to know what a pastor should be like, what a pastor should do, and especially if we're voting on Wednesday for an assistant pastor, that's a very good thing for us to learn. But also, these characteristics here, he puts them negatively as well as positively, these are things not just for pastors, but for every one of us as believers, either to avoid or to emulate. So Paul is using different pictures of the work of the pastor. We looked at one of them last time, the steward, the man who's entrusted to look after the property of another. And the thing that is required of a steward is faithfulness. If you are faithful, you are doing a great job for the Lord. Just being faithful. Now, the next metaphor is going to be from verse 5 onwards. And it's that of a parent. A parent. So let's just read verses 5 to 9. Verses 5 to 9. So Paul is thinking of himself as a spiritual parent. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, 
nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. I'll stop there. So like with the verses last time, Paul puts it negatively first and then positively, and that's what we'll do tonight. We'll look at this picture of a parent, and we're only going to deal with the mother tonight. We'll look at the father, God willing, next Sunday evening. So negative, what Paul didn't do, and then positive, what he did do as a spiritual mother. Paul is saying to them, did you notice how often it appeared? As you know, as you know, Paul is saying, you saw me. I wasn't hiding, as it were, uh, my lights. I'm real, he's saying to them. So what negatively didn't Paul do? Verse 5 mentions a few things. The first, incidentally, what's the characteristic of a parent, especially a mother? If a steward is faithful, what's a parent's loving? Isn't that true? What's true love like? We're not thinking now of sentimental love. What's true Christian love like? Well, negatively, Paul says, firstly, we did not flatter. We did not flatter. What's flattery? When you flatter somebody, you build their ego up by saying inflated things about them. There's a lot of it in politics, isn't there? Paul did not flatter the people that he was ministering to. I don't want to be a flatterer. And we shouldn't be flattering one another either. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be honest with one another, shouldn't we? Now, we need to encourage one another. There's a fine line between a discouragement and being honest. Being honest doesn't mean that we say to a person everything we think about them. But may God deliver us from flattery. Uh, you remember in Pilgrim's Progress, a uh, Christian comes across the flatterer. And soon, Christian and his companion are entangled in a net. And the warning is there. Beware the flatterer. Beware the person that comes to you with a big smile on his face. Beware the preacher that always starts off his message with a joke in order to get you to feel comfortable. Beware a person that is just saying too many positive things about you in order to get you on their side. Sometimes the world sees through these things, and we don't. It wasn't just Paul. Uh, David, in Psalm 12, put it like this. This is how David speaks of the flatterer. They speak vanity, emptiness, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and a double heart do they speak. Now, we know this tendency, don't we? We know what it's like when we meet a person. We just flatter them. 
And then once the person is gone, if we're with another person, we just talk about them behind their backs. Now, Paul is saying, I wasn't like that with you. What you saw is what you got. And shouldn't we be transparent with one another in that way? I was encouraged when we had the meeting with Andy that he said to me, you don't want a yes man. Amen. I don't want a yes man as an assistant. I don't want a flatterer. If we're to build one another up, we should be encouragers, but we should be honest, shouldn't we? So, so that's the first thing that Paul says. There's a famous account, isn't there, of Roland Hill. Have you heard of Roland Hill, the 19th century preacher? He was an eccentric preacher, Roland Hill. There's a book called Eccentric Preachers, and Roland Hill is one of those mentioned there. Uh, Roland Hill preached a wonderful sermon, and he went to the porch, and people were coming out afterwards, and a person went up to him and said, Thank you so much, Mr. Hill. That was a wonderful message. And you know what Roland Hill said? That's just what the devil told me <laughs> as soon as I had finished. Now, don't take that the wrong way. Don't <laughs> feel that you should never thank the preacher for their sermons. But let us beware of flattery. Paul didn't use it. Neither should we. According to Psalm 36, we can flatter ourselves as well. And then the next thing, negatively, that Paul says, he didn't use a cloak for covetousness. I think the NIV has a mask to cover greed. That's what covetousness is, greed. What's that? Paul did not enter the ministry in order to be served by people. Now, you get the impression sometimes that some people need to be needed and they want to help others so that their egos are fed. Paul is saying, I did not use spirituality as a cloak to hide this ambition. Oh, no. Paul is emulating his master. What did Jesus say? He said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. In one sense, I prefer the old word for the pastor, the minister. Isn't that a good word? The minister of the word. And shouldn't we all be ministering to one another? We shouldn't be in church in order to have our own way. We're all here to serve one another servant leadership. Now, he uses an interesting word, for neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. What an astounding thing to say. Paul was so transparent, he's able to say, hand on heart, that God is his witness. How many of us can say that? And he says a little later, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. We might have become a burden to you. And then verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you. What does he mean there? Well, the commentators explain it very well. Paul did not want even 
to give the impression that he was in the ministry in Thessalonica in order to have money from the people. So instead of being paid by the people, which is the norm, Paul involved himself in tent making. And for Paul, it was literal tent making. He was trained in that trade. And so in order to provide for himself, Paul built tents. The man must have been exhausted, preaching, teaching, pastoring, tent making, in order that the people might not think that he was in it for the money. I did not use a cloak for greed or for covetousness. Now then, how can we apply that? Maybe we shouldn't pay pastors. No, that's unbiblical. Let me just read what Paul says to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9, 14. The Lord commands that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living, should live by the gospel. It means they should get their living by the gospel. Now, I know in Wales today, you increasingly have this situation. There are congregations now that are too small to provide for a full-time worker. And in those cases, it's not the ideal scenario. The pastor has to be involved in tent making. But that's not the ideal, is it? The common practice, and even Paul received gifts from other churches, is that those who are involved in preaching the gospel, they should be paid for their work. But we're not in it for the money. If I'm in it for the money, you tell me. Or what about Paul writing to a young minister? Uh, think of uh, the young men we are privileged to see starting in the ministry. Here's the advice of the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honour. That talks of financial honour especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So the pastors, those who are set aside to minister the word. And then he goes on to quote a scripture. The ox uh, that treadeth the corn shall not be muzzled. The laborer is worthy of his hire. It's as if Paul is saying, I have been set apart Timothy, you've been set apart. All these other pastors that we are privileged to have have been set apart in order to bring you spiritual food. Oh, they should not, as it were, be muzzled then. They need to be released in order to focus on the spiritual ministry. Look after them physically. So Paul is saying, let's be transparent here. God is witness. We need to be transparent, don't we, when it comes to financial matters. As I said at the start, I would never choose to preach on this passage. But God has led us here. And what we need to do is realize that those whom God has called to minister his word, they need to be looked after. But not in order that they can make money but not, on the other hand, in order that they're tempted to distrust God. Uh, I heard of one church. It purposefully pays pastors very little in order to keep them humble. Now, that sounds spiritual, doesn't it? Let, let's pay the pastor 
the least that we can so that they can learn to trust the Lord. But that's not spiritual. That goes against the word of God. So Paul is being very practical here. He didn't flatter. He was honest in his speech. He was transparent in his motives to minister the word. He wasn't in it to be served, to get people's money. He wasn't in it for that. And then he says something else. We already looked at this a bit last time. Nor, verse 6, did we seek glory from men. If anybody could have sought glory from men, it would have been Paul. Who was Paul? Paul was the man Christ chose to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Imagine what Paul would have been like if that would have got to his head. Paul didn't have the Apostle Paul ministries. He didn't have his Learjets to travel around the Mediterranean. He didn't stay in the five-star hotels that were available. He did not stand on ceremony. If anybody could have done that, it would have been the Apostle Paul in one sense. But wasn't he modelling himself on a greater master, the Lord Jesus Christ? If anyone could have stood on his dignity, it was Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Paul wrote to the Philippians. The first place he ministered to in Europe before he came to Thessalonica, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God. But he got off that pedestal, as it were, and made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's not thinking of himself as the great apostle to the Gentiles. He's not thinking about himself at all. He's thinking about the souls of the people that he's ministering to. He's thinking about the saviour, the big saviour, mighty Christ, that he's got the honour to serve and he doesn't want to have any glory, thank you. May our ministers, may we be like that. How many church troubles arise from the fact that we're just too proud? We just want to have our own way, don't we? We spiritualize it, but in the end, it's just the fact that we won't budge. That's not what Paul was like. That's not what Christ was like. I think there's something very sad about a man that God has called who's just seeking glory from people. Very sad. If you're involved in any kind of Christian service, teaching in Sunday school, youth work, Crash, going door to door, standing as stewards. We're not doing it for ourselves, are we? We're doing it for Christ's approval. Don't you want to hear? I know it helps us to hear well done from each other, and we need to say that sometimes. There is nothing unspiritual about thanking people. I'm glad that Richard did that in the notices. But in the end, don't we want to hear Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servants. Well done. In the workplace, Paul says 
We shouldn't be men-pleasers. We shouldn't be eyeing people. We should have eyes to our master. I don't think Paul ever forgot that vision of Christ at the gates of Damascus. He not only had a vision, he actually saw the physical risen Christ. It so dazzled him, the glory of that. I don't think he ever got over that. I don't think he ever saw people in the same light afterwards. Just after you've looked at the sun, you can't see people properly, can you? I think Paul had been so dazzled spiritually by the sight of the glory of Christ that he didn't see the high and the mighty in the world. He didn't see the poor in the world. He just saw immortal souls and he just wanted those people, even if they were enemies of Christ, he just wanted them to prove the same Calvary love as he had experienced. If anybody didn't deserve the forgiveness of Christ, it was Paul persecuting the church So he now wanted to preach with a big heart this same grace to everybody. I don't think Paul ever got over the voice of Jesus Christ. Have you heard the voice of Jesus softly pleading with your heart? Have you felt his presence glorious as he calls your soul apart? I think Paul had not just become blind to the faces of others. He'd become deaf to the praises of others. He'd become deaf to the criticism of others. He just wanted, oh, he just wanted to speak of Christ. So those are some of the negatives. Now let's look at the positive very quickly, and then we'll be done. We'll only look at the mother side tonight. What does Paul say? I wasn't that, but we were gentle among you. We were gentle. He speaks here of mother love. Does that offend you? That the Apostle Paul, this man's man, describes himself in a feminine way. We were gentle like babies in some uh, Greek manuscripts, like a nursing mother, like a nursing mother. I see Paul as the most balanced of Christians. As we saw last time, earlier on in this chapter, he had described his boldness as a preacher of the gospel. Verse 2, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. He didn't fear the face of anybody. He just preached as thus saith the Lord. Now, if you take that too far, you can become brusque. You can just become offensive. But Paul wasn't like that. On the one hand, he was bold, but it was a boldness that was in the Lord. And on the other hand, he was gentle, but his gentleness didn't go to the extreme where he was a wet. Paul uh, didn't uh, become so gentle that it was anything goes. It's this wonderful balance, isn't it? Don't you see our tendency? We go according to our temperaments, don't we? Either we are too bold or we are too soft. But Paul was both bold and gentle. I think he'd learnt in the school of Christ, don't you? Didn't Jesus Christ say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek 
and lowly of heart. We sometimes think of meek as weak. It doesn't mean that. A meek person is a person who's most strong, but he doesn't always assert that. A meek person knows how to hold back. Moses was the meekest of men. He had the authority from God himself, but at the same time he was gentle in wielding that authority. May myself and we as elders be gentle. In Timothy, gentleness is one of the qualifications of eldership. Uh, Paul uses a picture here. He says, not just I didn't stand on ceremony. Verse 6, we didn't see glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostle of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Can you see the link? We might have made demands as apostles of Christ. The meaning there is we might have pushed our weight around. We might have come to you at Thessalonica and say, don't you realize who we are? We are the dream team. <laughs> I am the apostle of the Gentiles. And here is Silas and here is Timothy. He didn't do that. He was as a servant. Uh, the Apostle Peter, interestingly, Peter, in terms of temperament, would be forthright. But Peter, in his letter, in the last chapter, this is how he describes it. It's a similar theme. And this is what we are meant to be like. 1 Peter 5, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, not forcing people, not... Uh, asserting your authority in that way but willingly not for dishonest gain as we've seen but eagerly nor as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock Paul led by example may we lead by example may we all not push our weight around but may, may we all ask a person, how can I help you? When Salman Rushdie uh, was under the sentence of death, he was invited to the White House, and Bill Clinton was the president at the time. I'm not saying anything here about my political views, right? And when Salman Rushdie met Mr. Clinton, one of the first things Bill Clinton, the most powerful man in the free world, asked Salman Rushdie was, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? This is servant leadership. Don't we know this in godly people, men and women? The spiritual giants of this world are dwarves, if I can use that word, in their own eyes. They don't see themselves as big. They see themselves as servants for Christ. Another translation of the word gentle is baby-like. Not childish, but childlike like we were childlike we know what children are like they're so innocent they're so guileless oh may we be like that there's no politics when it comes to children and then the love of a mother is tender isn't it uh, there is this nursing mother metaphor but we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children the picture here is of a mother hen and the chicks uh, or the eggs underneath her She's keeping them warm. She's sheltering them. She's protecting them. She's nurturing them. 
isn't that God? Isn't that God? This is where my mind can't fathom the character of God. In Isaiah, we started the service with these words. Isaiah chapter 49. This is how God describes himself. The God of judgment. The God who is in complete control of the universe. To whom the nations are a, a drop in the bucket. Isaiah 40. This is the same God now describing himself in Isaiah 49 verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of a womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. I'm more caring than the most caring and loving of mothers. Wonderful. And then a little later, just as if people needed reminding, right at the end of Isaiah chapter 66, he uses the same picture. Listen to these words, Isaiah 66, verse 12. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then you shall feed on her sides and you shall be carried and be dandled on her knees. We know what it's like, don't we, to have a child dandling on our knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. A mother with a child, she's just overcome with love and tenderness to the delicate little thing in her arms. She's just besotted with it. And God is like that with the church, with you and me. Even God the Father. We mustn't think of the Father's love as something stern. It's a mother love. The love of Jesus Christ is a mother love. The love of the Holy Spirit is a gentle mother love. William Cooper, who struggled with depression, said, no earthly father loves like thee, no mother e'er so mild, so soft and kind, bears and forbears, as thou hast done with me, thy sinful child. Away with harsh views of Jesus Christ and God the Father. They're tender. There's no torment with them. God isn't beating us with a stick. We should be tender with one another. And then, just one last thought as I come to an end. There's a sacrifice here, isn't there? Look at the, how the Apostle Paul puts it. You'd become dear to us. We didn't just impart the message of the gospel to you, but we imparted our own lives. We gave ourselves to you. Now, please don't misunderstand Paul here. He's not thinking of temperament. He's not thinking of a person who is outgoing or a person who is shy. It's got nothing to do with that. It's something for all of us. We give ourselves to one another. This is how Jesus Christ puts it. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It doesn't talk about how much activity we do. It's an attitude of heart. Do we so love one another that we're willing to sacrifice certain things for the sake of one another? As, as, there's a Puritan prayer I came across. Don't know who it was, an old Puritan. An old Puritan prayer. It is my deceit to preach. I know many of you don't preach, but you can say this and pray and to stir up others' spiritual affections in order to beget commendations, in order to feed my ego. 
Whereas my aim should be daily to consider myself more vile than anybody in my own eyes. And let me learn of Paul. Lord, let me learn of thee as he did. And let me be in my ministry, in my life like thee. What did we sing? Give me a faith which can remove. We're talking about impossible things here. It's the spirit that produces these things in us. Let us be willing cooperators. This is a mountain, isn't it? It's an impossible thing, but it's possible through God. Give me the faith which can remove and sink this mountain to a plain. Give me the childlike, praying love to longs to build thy house again. Thy love, let it all my heart overpower and all my guileless soul devour. Or may we be just filled with the love of Christ. Love to the loveless. Love that isn't possessive. That's how we can often be. We love others for what we can get out of them. We love others simply because we want to say, look how much we love. May our love not be like that. May our love be self-forgetful. May our love not ask for anything in return. May our love be such a love that people will not say, this is us, but this is Christ in us. This is Christ in us. Well, may God give us grace. Do you see yourself, not just pastors, as spiritual mothers, spiritual mothers? Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a need for spiritual mothers in the weeks and months ahead? Because God, the Holy Spirit, was bringing about new births. Isn't that what the church is to be? We can't, we can't bring people from death to life. We can only nurture those people. We can be uh, those uh, who help uh, to give birth, as it were. Uh, Or may God draw near to us. And may we be mother-like in our gentleness, in our nurturing of one another, and in sacrificial love for his name's sake. Now let us close. What, what hymn is it to close? This is what we were meant to finish with last time. All glory to God in the sky. This is a hymn for the outpouring of the spirits upon the church and the unity that comes as a result of it. And if you're listening at home, it's 366. Jesus.
Father in heaven, we commend ourselves now into thy hands, not just pastor, but pastor and people. And we just pray that these Holy Spirit graces, these lovely things that arise from the love of Christ, that they would be seen more and more in all of us. Father in heaven, may people sense in this church something different to religiosity and something different to the world. May there be something of Christ about us. O giver of concord, of unity, I think, and love and peace. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.